and 7. I'm going to need a few readers, but I am going to volunteer to take the genealogy. Uh, so if there's anybody stumbling over the names, it will be me stumbling over the names. Um, so I, I need somebody, if you wouldn't mind, uh, to begin us reading Exodus chapter 6. So I'll sign the readings, and we'll pray, and we'll get started. But somebody to read, uh, Kathy, could you read the first 13 verses of chapter 6? I'll take the genealogy, the remainder of chapter 6. Somebody to get the first 13 verses of chapter 7. Pat, you take those. And Mike, let me give you the remainder of chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. Okay? Uh, so let me pray, and we will begin. O gracious Lord, our God, you are the one who calls your people to yourself, uh, and you come to us uh, in our fear, in our consternation, in our uh, struggles, uh, and in our despondency, and you give us a picture of who you are. You meet all of these things uh, by revealing who you are, and you show us uh, your great character. So we pray that we would see your character today. We pray that we would know something of you. We pray that we wouldn't just uh, be here gathered together uh, to grow in wisdom or to grow in understanding, uh, but that you would grow us in worship, uh, grow us in uh, our hearts as well as in our minds, help us to see something of Christ, help us to see something of the gospel, and remind us of your work among your people. Uh, prepare us, O oh Lord, to, uh, to come into your presence later in corporate worship, uh, and to come to your table and feed upon uh, the, uh, the grace that you have for us in Christ. Uh, prepare us as we read these things, and uh, give us words to speak to one another, to be an encouragement to one another, we pray in your name, amen. Okay, Kathy's going to begin uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, please. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years the sons of Gershon, Libni and Shimei by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years, the sons of Merari, Mali and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years.
the sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. The sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Uh, Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of their father's houses by the, of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Thank you. All right. I think, uh, so for those of you that came in uh, while we were reading, we're in Exodus chapters 6 and 7 today. Uh, so if you don't have your Bibles open yet, you want to grab them. Uh, we're going to be looking at the text together. I think it worked quite well last week uh, when we gave sort of a, a quick overview and then we just opened it up for discussion. Uh, you guys are all smarter than me anyway, and you have good observations uh, as we read these things together. So I want to draw your attention uh, to a few things because we're getting into a, a portion of Exodus uh, that is really important for a particular reason. Now, 
all of Exodus is important, and, and one of the major themes in Exodus is the way that God reveals himself. Uh, but we're going to see that in the next section of the plagues especially. We've just begun to look at the plagues today with the first one, the striking of the Nile. Uh, but there's a reason for all these plagues, and, and this is um, how I want us to, to see these chapters here uh, as God revealing himself. And, and how does God reveal himself? Take a look back in chapter 5, if you would. Back in chapter 5, you remember this is the first time uh, that Moses and Aaron appeared before Pharaoh. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, this is verse 1, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh sets himself up a little bit here. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, uh, I will not let Israel go. And so the Lord responds by saying, well, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, and what we'll see in the, the portion of the plagues uh, is God repeatedly saying, you will know that I am the Lord. So I want us to look at it in three sections. The first section, uh, sort of taking all of chapter 6 together, where we see that God reveals himself as the covenant keeper. God reveals himself as the covenant keeper. You'll see this in the way that God reveals himself, particularly to his people. Uh, take a look in, uh, in chapter 6. Um, oh, where is it? Chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. This is the Lord speaking to the Israelites now, really speaking to Moses and Aaron, but speaking about the Israelites. And you shall know, that's a plural there, you plural, uh, you will all know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. This is the first time that it shows up in this section that we're looking at today. But, but God is giving a revelation of himself. You recall that the end of chapter 5 ended with the people in despondency. Uh, the people looking around, and, and even Moses himself, and the people uh, you know, finding themselves under harder burdens after the Lord had come and said, uh, let my people go, and, and Pharaoh said, no, 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 in fact, uh, I'm going to take away your straw, and you're still going to make bricks, and you're going to have the same daily quotas, and, and uh, my servants will beat you a little bit harder, and, and you'll, have to, you know, you'll be under this terrible oppression. And the people come out, and they're mad at Moses, and Moses is mad at the Lord. He says, you haven't delivered your people at all. So that's where we end in chapter 5, but now the Lord shows up and he says, no, 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 you also need to know that I'm the Lord. Here's the answer for the problems that you're having. Here's the answer for your distrust of what I will do. You need to know who I am. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to show you that I am the Lord, and, and I'm going to remind you that I'm the God, particularly who keeps covenant. We're going to open up that section a little bit as we go through and see the way that God connects, not just who he is, uh, but who he saves the people that he has bound himself to. He, he says, I am the Lord, and by the way, this is how I make myself known to all of the forefathers in the past, and, and I'm remembering my covenant. God reveals himself as, as the covenant keeper. There's a relationship between the Lord and his people, and for the sake of that covenant relationship, uh, the Lord will maintain his fidelity to the people he has chosen. This is the basis for starting with his people. Uh, through these chapters, God is revealing himself, but he starts by revealing himself to his people. He says, this is what you need to know about me, uh, in the midst of your hardship, remember that I'm the one who keeps promises. I'm the covenant keeper. Uh, second, in the first half of chapter 7, there's another group that will get to know who the Lord is. And it's the Egyptians. Take a look in, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 7. It's the same kind of language. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and I bring out the people of Israel from among them. See, he's repeating the same thing that he just said to Moses and Aaron, but now it's in a different context. Uh, the Lord begins to work mighty works through his servants, Aaron and Moses, and he no longer requests uh, just a three-day journey. And that's what, uh, if you remember, in the beginning of chapter 5, uh, God said to Moses and Aaron, we'll go to Pharaoh first and, and just request a little reprieve. Ask for a vacation. Uh, ask for three days to go into the wilderness and, and offer this feast, and Pharaoh uh, will not do it, uh, by the way. Uh, and now after Pharaoh's heart has been hardened, God says, now go back uh, and demand that Pharaoh simply let you go. Uh, go back and, and turn up the heat a little bit. And, and what's going to happen is uh, Pharaoh's heart will continue to be hardened. 
and yet I will continue to work, and I will have these mighty signs and these mighty works, uh, and all of the Egyptians uh, who are among you and who are watching what happens between the God of the Hebrews and Pharaoh, who himself is regarded as a god in Egypt, they'll see this almost celestial warfare. They'll see this back and forth. And the Egyptians, without a doubt, will know who the Lord is. And this is the important thing. God is revealing himself as a mighty deliverer. He's showing other peoples who don't yet know him. Uh, he's showing them who he is, and it's based on what he does for the people that he has covenanted himself to, this relationship he has with his people. And he says, look, the Egyptians are going to know that I am this, uh, this mighty deliverer. Uh, and so there is, there's also a, uh, in this second section, there's a theme that emerges. We'll see over and over again in each, each uh, plague uh, that Moses obeys. We saw last week that Moses was dragging his feet a little bit. Moses was upset a little bit. But here's what we'll find uh, over and over and over again. Take a look at chapter 7, verse 10. In fact, you see it in verse 6. First, uh, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Shows up again in verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. You'll see this almost in every plague. God commands and his people do. And as he works, as God works these mighty things, uh, over against uh, his servants who are obeying him, there are those whose hearts are hardened, namely Pharaoh. Uh, and part of that is that God is revealing himself. Uh, through the, though the Lord reveals himself, yet Pharaoh continues to be hardened more and more. Uh, I think it's, it's really a stark picture of the way sin works in our hearts. Uh, that, uh, that God is able to show up and able to tell us about himself, and yet uh, in, in sort of a metaphorical way, we put our hands over our ears and we say, no, 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 that's not comfortable. I don't want to believe that. Uh, I want to believe uh, that, that God is not in control. I'm in control, and I've got, uh, I've got control over these things. But God says, no, no, uh, I'm the mighty deliverer. I'm going to reveal myself as the mighty deliverer, and it will be uh, crystal clear to the Egyptians. They will know uh, that I'm the God who's the mighty deliverer. And then finally, uh, in the, the second half of chapter 7, uh, verse 14 and following, we see that God reveals himself as the only sovereign. Take a look, um, verse 17 there. Thus says the Lord, we've seen this before, by this you, that's a singular there, not like the plural that we saw in chapter 6. This is God speaking to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron and my people will know who I am, your people will know who I am, and before too long, you're going to admit that you know who I am as well. It's interesting. Um, I think when, uh, when Moses sends, I'm sorry, when Pharaoh sends the people out of the land, I could be, so this is off the cuff, I could be confusing this with another narrative, but I think um, he sends them out and he asks them to pray for him. Am I confusing that with another narrative? I know that happens somewhere else. Maybe. Take that with a grain of salt. Right, right. That's what I, that's what I think. Um, take a look at chapter 12. So this is, uh, this is like taking the novel and turning to the last chapter and reading that first. I realize that. Uh, but take a look at chapter 12, uh, verses 31 and 32. All that the Lord has said he was going to do is now being fulfilled. Then he, that's Pharaoh, summoned Moses and Aaron by night. And he said, up. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you've said. Take your flocks, take your herds, as you've said, and be gone, and bless me also. So what does the Lord say? Well, Pharaoh's going to know that I'm the only one uh, who is sovereign. The people may think that he is a god. He may think that he's a god. He may think that he is uh, some hotshot. But I'm going to show Pharaoh who is in charge, uh, and by the end, we see that's exactly what he says. Go out. Uh, his heart is still hardened. He will chase the people into the wilderness. He will meet his own fate uh, at the hands of his own foolishness. Um, but uh, for the time being, um, Pharaoh says, ask the Lord to bless me also. Um, and, and again, in the, the end of chapter 7, the purpose is revelation. When we start to look at all these plagues, we need to keep in mind, well, what is the Lord doing here? Is he, is he just giving the Egyptians a hard time? Is he just punishing them? Is he, is he just bringing judgment? No, 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 no. He's revealing himself. He's revealing himself as the only sovereign. Uh, it will only take three plagues. By the time we get to the frogs, 
uh, I think the frogs, um, the, the people of Egypt will say, this is the hand of the Lord. <laughs> we can't replicate these things. We can't do what, what Moses and Aaron seem to be doing. Uh, this is beyond us, uh, and God is, is working here, and yet Pharaoh continues to be hardened and continues to be hardened, uh, which is why God continues to send more signs. Now, we spoke a little bit uh, last week about this mystery between uh, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and, and his hardening of his, Pharaoh, his heart, or the Lord hardening his heart. So there's some of that going on here, but this is what I want to uh, suggest is really the, the scope of these two chapters, uh, and what will be the scope when we come back next time to look at more of the plagues, that God is revealing himself. He's revealing himself as a covenant keeper, as a mighty deliverer, and as the only sovereign. So, uh, so much for our early morning homily uh, and my take on, uh, on Exodus. Um, what do you think uh, about that take? Hopefully you agree with it because a lot of it's straight from Scripture. But is there anything that jumps out at you here uh, that you look at and you say, this is puzzling. I've never thought about this this way or, uh, or here's something that I, that I haven't thought about. There are a few things that I want to uh, get us talking to and so if we don't, I'll push us in that direction. But, but what jumps out at you when we read these two chapters? Chapter 6? Hmm. Um, so, uh, that's a good question. Uh, now, th this is going to be repeated, uh, you recall. Uh, take a look in verse 30. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? We have it repeated, don't we? Now, this is uh, Moses' last stand as it were. Uh, this is his, his last attempt. We saw last time God calls him and he says, just send somebody else. <laughs> I don't really want to do this. I don't want to be the guy that you're calling to do this. And one of the reasons that he gave, he said, well, I'm, I'm slow of tongue. That's the phrase that's used. Now he says, I, I'm uncircumcised of lips. There are a couple ways we can look at that. It's, it's certainly a metaphor. Uh, he doesn't have refined speech would be one way of, of thinking about it. Um, and notice what he says, well, how will Pharaoh listen to me? This is, a, this is a high thing. Yeah, I was raised in the courts of Pharaoh, but I, I've been a shepherd for 40 years. I've been among, uh, you know, the, the blue-collar workers, and, and now you're going to send me in, you know, think of it as, as a diplomat before a, a, the leader of a country, and I, I'm just not ready for this. I'm not refined. I'm of, I'm of uncircumcised lips. Now, there's something about me that's not yet completely... Um, Completely redeemed, that's probably the wrong word, but you, you recall also last time we saw that picture of uh, circumcision with Zipporah uh, and that really strange thing uh, where, uh, where circumcision was sort of this last stand that Moses had been called and he had been gifted and yet he was not keeping God's commands all the way. He wasn't keeping the covenant sign that he was going in to say the Lord is a covenant Lord and he wasn't keeping God's covenant sign and it was this sign of circumcision. And so now Moses brings this back up, and he says, well, I'm of uncircumcised lips. It should make us think about that uh, a little bit. So, so we've got these two ideas. He's, he's bringing up some idea that he is slow of speech, slow of tongue, but we've got that sort of on bookends, but it's interrupted by this, this genealogy, which is an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up, Mike. Uh, what is this genealogy doing here between these two mentions uh, of Moses' frailty? What do you see in the text that would help us to understand uh, why this would be included, why, why this, uh, this long-running genealogy would sort of jump in the middle of all of this action? We haven't had a genealogy like this. Uh, this, is, this is the height. God is going to send Moses back to Pharaoh and say, no, 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 no. It's time to let my people go. But before that, an interlude. Uh, you know, and, and this isn't the point where we all go out and we get our popcorn and our drinks and we come back later when, when the action is going again. This is part of the narrative. So, so why does the narrative get interrupted here? What's, what's Moses doing as he writes this account? What do you think? I see a pensive hand back there, Chris.
Okay, yeah. Um, where does that show up? What, what do the people need to know? Here comes Moses, this deliverer. Yeah, so it, it's situating it with all this covenant stuff, and it's, it's giving us the background. Uh, this is what he's doing. What do the people need to know about Moses as their deliverer? In other places, God says to Moses, I've made you like a god to Pharaoh. I've made Aaron like your servant. And you can go in and, and you can demand, uh, and, and there will be something impressive about Moses. What does this genealogy help to balance? If you were a, a person from Israel, what would, what would knowing Moses' background help to do for you? When Moses shows up and they start working all these signs and all these wonders, makes him very human, incredibly human, yeah. Uh, did you notice uh, there's, there are a few little things in here that stand out to us. Take a look at verse 20. Amram, this is Moses' father, by the way, and Jochebed, Moses' mother. Amram took as his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister. That's strange. In fact, later in the law of Moses, this sort of thing will be explicitly forbidden. It's not yet. But later it will be. Uh, and, and Moses, as he's writing these things, is not hiding uh, any of the, the you know, terrible past, his, his upbringing. He doesn't paint himself as this wonderful person. There's no mention in here of this is the Moses who was raised in Pharaoh's courts. Uh, this is all very low. Uh, this is, you know, my, my dad and my mom were, well, that was his aunt. Uh, and it was sort of a, a relationship that even in Israel, even after we've been brought out, we, we don't do that sort of thing. This is not the kind of uh, exemplary family that you would think a deliverer would be raised in. And, and there are some other things in there. Um, and now notice verse 26. So, Mike, you, you brought up um, verse 13, which sort of brackets on one side. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a charge. I'm sorry. Um, oh, verse 12. Uh, how then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the people. And then it, it jumps back in at the end of the narrative, or end of the genealogy, rather. Um, these are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel um, from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. It is making them very human. It is also putting any authority they might have under the authority of God that has been given to them. Moses doesn't show up on the scene and say, all right, I'm the guy. You didn't listen to me 40 years ago when I tried to deliver you, but I'm here. I'm with another plan. I've got some more powers. I'm going to do some miraculous things. You're all going to think wonderful things of me, and we're going to be out of here. No, 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 no. Uh, it makes Moses very human. Uh, and then uh, later, um, it, it repeats, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And when we read these things, we should say, Yeah, how is Pharaoh going to listen to him? Uh, it's there, in a sense, for the benefit of the reader to say, This is very unlikely. I agree with Moses. Uh, he's, he's not this great leader that, that we might think he is. He, he's not this gifted personality. Uh, he shows up, and, and, uh, and it sets us up to see God's work happening in Egypt and happening with Pharaoh. Good question, Mike. A follow-up? You'll get the entire genealogy later in the Pentateuch. Uh, this is actually like a, a snippet of something later. And the point is to make a beeline to Moses and Aaron, because they came from the family of Levi. Um, notice they're also not first. And Moses is not firstborn either. Um, and so it, it goes, uh, and, and if you know your Old Testament history, especially if you know uh, Genesis, uh, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi were not the exemplary brothers. Uh, Reuben slept with his father's concubine, and Simeon and Levi were the ones who, after the, uh, the rape of their sister, went in and slaughtered that, uh, that town of men, uh, and, and under some sort of ruse of, yeah, 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 we'll intermarry with you. But, uh, but it sort of picks out, well, these are the first three born, and, and Moses and Aaron come from this. 
it continues to give us sort of a, a low, by human standards, a low picture of who Moses and Aaron are. Yeah. And, and the rest of it, it's important, but it's not important now. Uh, and so we'll get the rest of the genealogy later. I'm sorry, you had your hand up as well. Hi. Nice to have, nice to have you with us. <laughs> That's okay. My mother's here. She's from North Carolina. She's got you beat. <laughs> I believe that's a, a major part of it, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got plenty of gods. We don't need another one. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Pharaoh, he's good. And, and uh, who's this Moses guy? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, that, and that's a good question. Um, one of the interesting things you find about, uh, about Egypt is um, they were not at all averse to outsiders. Um, they're not averse to outsiders holding great power, if they can trace their lineage and all these other things. So some of the dynasties you find um, in Egypt are non-Egyptian dynasties, yet they rose to power in Egypt and they ruled. There's, a, there's a, uh, a reference in Isaiah somewhere, I can't find it for you right now, um, but it talks about God's people going down to Egypt, and there in Egypt, Assyria oppressed them. Maybe that's a reference to the Hyksos dynasty, which happened uh, around the time that perhaps, uh, all the dates are, are kind of in the air, uh, maybe perhaps around the time that, that Israel was in Egypt, there was an Assyrian dynasty. Assyrian leaders came into Egypt and they took over. And that was fine. They ruled in Egypt. And they, okay, that's, that's great, but you've, you're powerful. And it, yeah, 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 and so we, we don't know what they might have known about Israel or about the God of Israel. Certainly the Pharaoh says when Moses shows up, I don't even know who you're talking about, uh, and, and it should, you're exactly right. It should, for us as the reader and for the Israelites, it should make us say, the only way we're getting out of this is if the Lord really does show up, and he does. Uh, that's, we're supposed to have bated breath to see what will the Lord do to overcome all these obstacles. Pat. And that's very important. This is actually the second time in Exodus that we've seen it mentioned that he is a son of Levi. Uh, in fact, it says back in chapter 1, talking about the birth of Moses, now a son of uh, Levi took a daughter of Levi as, uh, as his wife, and they had a son. Uh, so this is the second time that we're, we're seeing there is this lineage, and that's incredibly important uh, because it, it connects to what has come before, right? We, we saw in the first chapter, now here are the 70 people that went down. Uh, it was Jacob and all of his sons. Um, and, and so we've got this lineage, and we've got this connection here. That's, that's an important thing. Great. Um, so let me, let me draw your attention. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how far we get today. Uh, let me draw your attention um, to these verbs. Now, 
in the beginning of chapter 6, the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see. And, And I mentioned this is God's response. Notice the way that God gives Moses theology. Uh, Moses says, what are you doing? Uh, I thought you were going to deliver, and it seems like you're not doing anything at all. And the Lord says, uh, let's let's remember who I am. This is God's answer, uh, theology. Uh, He says, you need to know who I am. And so he he gives this this, uh, recounting, uh, verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. He said it again in verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Uh, Verse 8, I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Uh, It says again in verse 28, on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. It's this reminder, God is in control here. Now, what is God doing for this covenant people that he's saving? Well, take a look uh, at verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. That is, he is is the covenant God. He's the covenant-keeping God. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So he connects who he is with what he will do. What do you notice about those three verbs? He says, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you. Are they all synonyms? Are they just saying the same thing? Or is he saying something different with them? Ronnie. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's almost a um, sort of a a climax, beginning, middle, and end. Um, So there there will be a spatial removal. I will bring you out. Um, But here's what's happening behind the scenes. I'm actually delivering you. You will no longer be under the burdens of the Egyptians. You won't be in this place. You won't be doing these things. Why? Because I have taken you away from them. So God is is actually working here. There's there's an increasing intensity in these words. And it it gets the last one, and I will redeem you. Uh, This really uh, highlights one of the other major themes here. Uh, This is is a relationship word. Bill. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Where he stands and other people come to him and he... Yeah. They are. They are. Now, where do you, where do you recall seeing this key word, redeem, elsewhere in, uh, in the Old Testament? We, it is a picture. It's a very vivid picture of our redemption from our slavery to sin. Here we are meeting in Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Uh, this is close to our hearts, Okay. Um, so we can, we can see the fuller picture when we get to the New Testament of redemption from slavery. Um, but but how, does, how are we helped by other images in Scripture? David. Absolutely, absolutely. And what is the relationship that Boaz has for Ruth? What, is, what does it mean for Boaz to be, so it calls him the kinsman redeemer. It's the same word. In Hebrew, it's the goel, and God says, I will goel them, I will, I will redeem them. So what does it mean for Boaz to be a redeemer for Ruth? Lifeline? Phone a friend? Yeah. Yes? Mm-hmm. 
absolutely. Ronnie, did I see your hand as well? Great. Um, so here, here's what we see, here's what we know about this idea of redemption. Um, that it, you only redeem someone who comes to you with burdens. That's what redemption is. Uh, and, and you said they take care of one another. We see the same idea in the New Testament where it says bear one another's burdens. We don't redeem one another. But we take one another's burdens upon ourselves. And the, the model that we have for that is the fact that Christ has taken our burdens upon himself. He is, properly speaking, our redeemer. He doesn't just say, well, uh, I'll take you uh, out of this place you were and I'll, I'll get you free from your sin and then you're on your own. I like what you said at the beginning there, Ronnie. It's the beginning, it's the middle, and the end. He takes them out. He frees them from this thing, but he also draws them to himself. I will redeem you. I, I will buy you back. And it's not just this idea of it's a transaction. Ka-ching, put the money in the, in the drawer and close it. Here's your receipt. Have a nice day. Uh, but it's this, it's this relationship language. Becky. How so? Paul will say, um, in Galatians, I believe, don't allow your freedom in Christ to become an occasion for wrongdoing. It's the same idea. I, I think you're, you're really on to something. Uh, that, that Christ has freed us for something. God has freed the people for something. Uh, not to serve the Egyptians, not to be a part of, of uh, their whole milieu and their culture, uh, but he, he frees them from what they were under and to himself and, and this identity. Take a look in the very next verse. I will take you to be my people. This is sort of the, uh, the ultimate aim of what God is doing. I'll deliver you. I'll redeem you. I'll bring you out. I'll deliver you. I'll redeem you. And I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Becky, I think you're, you're exactly right. There's this picture of of finding our identity and, and finding it particularly in this relationship. Teresa, you had your hand up. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly, yeah, yeah. Ephesians says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Uh, but even, you know, in, in that foreordination of Boaz, uh, what's beautiful about the story of Boaz, uh, and what I think is, um, is a, a picture of, of the way we are redeemed by Christ. So you're bringing up this, this instance where there was a cousin, there was a closer kinsman redeemer who could have redeemed Ruth, who should have, but he had the right, if someone else wanted to, he could have said, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll give away my right of kinsman redeemer. Uh, and, and if you remember that exchange, uh, it's really uh, kind of brilliant on Boaz's part because he loved Ruth. He redeemed Ruth in love. It wasn't just, oh, I've got to do this. And so he went to this other kinsman redeemer. He said, hey, uh, there's Ruth. You remember her. She, she, went with, uh, you know, she was uh, with Naomi, and they were in another land. They came back, and everybody's dead. Uh, and somebody needs to raise up a family for this deceased man through uh, his wife. Uh, and, and will you do it? And oh, by the way, if you do this, they're not going to be your kids. You're going to be taking burdens upon yourself financially. And, and the other guy says, I don't want any part of that. Thank you very much. Uh, and, and, but Boaz was willing to do it because he redeemed his bride in love. He said, I'm, I'll take you on and your burdens. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, and that's, that's what we find in the New Testament. Uh, that, that Christ redeems us to himself in love. In love he predestined us to be conformed uh, according to the image of Christ. Uh, in love he draws us to himself. And, and what a beautiful picture of redemption that we have. And that's exactly what it is. Now I want to, with the last five minutes, we didn't get past the first section. That, that's about par, um, if you have heard my teaching. 
Um, that's about par. Um, but we did discuss some of the other stuff. And we're going to come back and talk about the plagues next time. Um, so I, I want you to, to flip to a couple things because this verse 7 uh, is incredibly important uh, for understanding Exodus, for understanding what the Lord is doing, uh, but also for understanding the way God works with his people uh, and this, this sort of trajectory that we have with him. I need to ask for a couple uh, volunteers. Could somebody turn to Genesis chapter 17, please? Becky, could you get Genesis 17, verses 7 and 8? Somebody else, Exodus chapter 19? Corey, Exodus chapter 19, uh, verses 5 and 6. There are a few more. Exodus chapter 29. Eric's going to get Exodus 29, verses 45 and 46. That'll be enough for now. Uh, and then we'll start to look at a few other things, okay? Uh, so, Becky, you had Genesis uh, chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Could you read those for us? So it's not the same words, it's not the same phrase, but this is the same idea. Now you remember Genesis 17 was the sign of circumcision. Uh, this is God making his covenant with Abraham um, and saying, here's, here's the promise that you get when you're in covenant relationship with me. Uh, it's the relationship part. Uh, and, and I will be God to them and they will be my people and I will bind myself to them. Now, uh, in, in Exodus 6, when Moses says, Lord, you've shown up. And you said you were going to do these wonderful things, but you haven't. Now, what has God been doing? He said, uh, verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Unfortunately, we don't have time to deal with that, uh, this idea of how is the Lord known. But he is recalling, now, don't forget, Moses, this is who I am. This is the covenant that I, I've sent you to deliver, uh, and, and here's the reminder of it. I'll be their God, they will be my people. We see this again uh, when he actually brings the people out. Uh, Corey, you had Exodus chapter 19. This is uh, Israel at the base of Sinai uh, before God gives the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Could you read uh, chapter 19, verses 5 and 6? It's the same idea, isn't it? That you will be mine. You'll be my people. I will be your God. You'll be a kingdom of priests for me. Who had, uh, Eric, you had chapter 29, 45, and 46. Could you read those, please? Okay, so we see this repeated revelation, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, but why has he brought them out? They would be with him. So he would dwell with them so that he would be their God. Now, uh, somewhere else, uh, hint, hint, uh, in the minor prophets that we know very well, um, where does God talk about being his people uh, or not being his people? Anybody remember? Ooh, think, think, think. Think about the prophet who married uh, an adulterous woman and had a few children with that woman. Hosea. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. Um, so here's, here's what it says in Hosea. Let me grab that. I should have had this one marked. Hosea chapter 1, all the way in the beginning. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And the Lord said, so this is uh, one of the children has just been born uh, to Gomer. Uh, the Lord said, call his name not my people. For you are not my people. I am not your God. So there's sort of a judgment there. People have been turning away from the covenant stipulations, yet... God turns around. That's verse 9. In verse 10, God gives this promise. Even if his people will turn away, 
God will keep his covenant. So verse 9, call his name not my people, for you are not my people and I'm not your God. Yet, verse 10, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Now this is almost the same promise that he gave to Abraham, wasn't it? You'll have many children, you'll have a place, I will be your God, you'll be my people, and your people will be a blessing, by the way. Now, Paul will pick up this same theme in Romans. He'll talk about uh, the Israelites, and, and he'll begin uh, to, to give us this picture of um, they will be my people. It isn't just for the Israelites, but it's all those that God is going to call, even from the Gentiles, isn't it? And it's the same place we returned last time, talking about uh, Pharaoh and the hardening of his heart. And, and God chooses, and he hardens whom he will, and he has mercy on whom he will. And here's the reason, because he's gathering a people to himself for relationship. And God will do these things, and, and God is the covenant-keeping God. Uh, one more scripture um, before we let you go. Everybody turn uh, with me to Revelation chapter 21. So what, what I want you to see is just that this theme runs from the beginning to the end of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, very clearly. Um, and we see it in, in many other places. But Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. You know what? Let's start in verse 6. Everybody got it? Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. And he said to me, 